Is it great to control every aspect of what goes into your mouth? Yeah. Sure. But do you want to live like a human? Yeah. And so that's where using your motility agent comes in, using your enzymes, using your, like, so I have this protocol that I put patients on whenever they go travel abroad. I put them on this protocol of when they're traveling with every meal, they take an antiparasitic, they take a probiotic, so an antiparasitic herb, and they take HCL and enzymes. Are you ready to get well from SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth? Have you been hitting your head up against the wall? Have you been pounding on Dr. Google and trying to figure out for yourself what's going on? Let's face it, sometimes you just need an expert's advice. So I wanna introduce you to Dr. Alana Gervich. You may have heard her on one of our other podcasts. She's amazing. She's one of my favorite speakers and teachers and doctors in this area. Totally devoted to helping you feel better, a heart of gold, a brain that is universal and wise beyond the skies. I mean, really, that's a big statement, but that's how I feel about her. And I think you'll feel the same way once you get into this conversation. So are you ready to get well? I know I am. Let's listen in. When it comes to uh, IBD, Mm -hmm. inflammatory bowel disease, Mm -hmm. which I know is one of your major Mm -hmm. specialties. That's what I do most of. Can SIBO lead to IBD? Okay. So uh, there's three of us who are in this process of writing a book that I think you're interviewing all three of us. And, you know, we have coined this phrase, the IBS within IBD. So your question is a little bit, it's a little bit of a booby trap. Mm. Because uh, can I, do I have studies that definitively say that IBS leads to IBD. I don't. Do I have studies that say that an IBD patient can also have IBS? A hundred percent. I have those studies. In those studies, what happens is those IBD patients are being treated the way you treat inflammatory bowel disease patients. Steroids, failing, biologics. So uh, Remicade, Humira, Simsia, um, what's the new one? Antibio, like all of those biologic strong agents failing. All of a sudden you do a breath test and you find their bacterial overgrowth is out of this world. And all of a sudden you're like, they don't have, this isn't a Crohn's flare. This is an IBS flare. This is a bacterial overgrowth flare. And so you start treating the bacterial overgrowth and all of a sudden their Crohn's gets controlled because you are treating the IBS within their IBD. So the uh, the flip side of that, because it is a trick question is, Generally speaking, when an IBD patient is first diagnosed, they're going to think the doctor is going to assume they have some kind of gastritis, you know, foodborne illness, Mm -hmm. stomach bug, and they're going to give them antibiotics. And they're going to get better for a short amount of time, and then they're going to get much worse. And so the antibiotics are treating that bacterial overgrowth. So do we know that those people wouldn't have gotten full-blown Crohn's if we didn't give them antibiotics? We don't because we can't turn back time. Right. So treating the IBS sometimes can probably teeter-totter it into IBD, but I don't have studies to support that. That's more of a theoretical. Okay, so you're talking about IB. Explain for everybody what the difference is between IBS and SIBO and IBD. Huge. Great, great question. IBS is this gigantic umbrella. We think right now, based on the latest research, that SIBO is like 70% of that umbrella. So IBS is any irritable bowel syndrome. Anything that makes the bowels irritable, gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, a mixture, um, pain, IBS, SIBO. We, they have, it's a functional disorder. So that means when we go in and do colonoscopy, we find nothing. Endoscopy, we find nothing. Uh, upper GI small bowel series, which nobody does anymore, or CT enterography or MRI enterography, we find nothing. So it's not pathological. And so 
you hear functional or, or you hear functional and you're like, oh, I'm stressed. Like this is a function. But no, it's the microscopic functions of the small bowel and large bowel that aren't working. So that's IBS. SIBO is these functions are not working and we find bacterial overgrowth because let's be honest, at this point, it's easy. It's the easiest thing we can find. To find fungal overgrowth, you need to do an aspirate. You need to put a tube down their throat, get into their small intestine, through their stomach, through their sphincter, grab some fluid, culture it out. Like uh, clearly I'm not going to do that in my office. Right. So we can't find CFO. So uh-huh. basically that's IBS. Okay. Inflammatory bowel disease, so irritable bowel syndrome versus inflammatory bowel disease. They do that colonoscopy and they take a biopsy and there's inflammation. Mm-hmm. They go, they do an endoscopy and they go into a small bowel and they find inflammation. They do an x-ray and they find string sign or they find um, lead pipe. All of these are signs that you can see that are pathological. So it's actually a disease versus syndrome. And is there a cause for that disease? There's lots of causes for that disease. The most common is some microbiome issues, which is where that IBS and IBD kind of fits. Uh, There's also inflammatory, like they believe your immune system is just out of control. It's an autoimmune disease, or these are autoimmune diseases. Mm -hmm. The the immune system is out of control and attacking the small and large intestine. Mm -hmm. And if you fix the SIBO, it it would help. I, I 100, in fact, I have... Now, quite a few patients who were getting nowhere with treating their inflammatory bowel disease, failing steroids, failing a ton of Mm -hmm. treatments, anemic, mineral deficient. What happens with inflammatory bowel disease patients is there's so much inflammation in their system that um, their cells become... They can't even hold proteins. Mm. And this isn't their GI cells. Like These are like cells in their legs. Wow. Like their albumin is completely non-existent. Their, their total protein on their CBC and their count metabolic is non-existent. And you go in there and you address the microbiome by doing the things that you do to treat SIBO and all of a sudden you get them controlled. They're not anemic anymore. They're not completely reliant on iron infusions. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. 100%. It's a, I feel that inflammatory bowel disease is a microbiome disorder. And I do have these you know, there's a lot of us that treat these conditions. And I can remember having this conversation with one of my colleagues. And he's like, you think, I was like, it's a hundred percent a microbiome disorder. And he was like, no way. It's an inflammatory issue. It's an inflammatory issue. And I was like, no. And they just came out with a study like six or seven months ago where they did um, stool cultures on inflammatory bowel disease patients and their families. And what they found is this triad of two bacteria and a fungus that are all present in almost 100% of Crohn's patients. Wow. I mean, that's kind of crazy. That is kind of crazy. And so I immediately text him and said, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I was right. I told yeah, you. Yeah. Total vindication. Yeah. 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 Why never doubt me? Uh, what are those? Uh, so I, I, Candida albicans, strep, uh, E. coli, uh, hemorrhagic E. coli. And I feel like the third one was a strep. Mm-hmm. One uh, strep thermophilus, or one. I think those were those were the three. So if we do a stool test, kind of look for those. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so stool tests. I know you have a lot to say about stool. I tests. I do have a lot to say. about I want to hear tests. everything. Yeah. Um, I they are useful and they are limited. You know. So there's the the typical what you get through through Quest or LabCorp and your standard mm-hmm. labs, which is going to do a stool culture and sensitivity, which is very limited. So. Uh, an ONP, an ova and parasite test, What that the way that that works is you poop in a cup, well, you poop, and then you take like this much of your stool and you mix mm-hmm. it in some water, right? Mm-hmm. Or some, not some, some preservative. Mm-hmm. And you do that 
you know, three days, O and P times three. Then you send that to the lab. The lab takes a drop of that and puts it on a slide. So already we've taken a small bit of stool and now we've diluted it down to a drop. Mm -hmm. And then they zoom in 10,000 times and they look at a 10,000 time zoom in 10 fields. And if they physically don't find an uh, egg or a parasite crawling around, they're going to say it's negative. It's it's ridiculous. You are literally looking for a needle in a haystack. Like, you are literally looking yeah. for a needle in a haystack. And if you're chock full of needles, then needles are easy to find. Right. And then your OMP is going to be positive. Yeah. But if you're like the majority of the population who is not chock full of needles, they're going to say it's negative. So this is a specific test, but it's not sensitive. It, if you are positive, you are 100% positive. Mm-hmm. However, if you're negative, it doesn't mean you're negative. It just means you're not 100% positive. You had had a lab that you really liked. I do. Para Wellness Research. Okay. And it's, uh, I, I want to clarify that it's not a lab because it's not covered by insurance. He's actually considering it a research project. Okay. Uh, and so that's how he gets covered through his IRB to run these tests. This is who I'm using almost in, um, exclusively now. because So he was a um, parasitologist. This is what he did professionally and he retired. And now what he does is he does... I mean, when you send him a stool, you send him urine and stool, he looks at every sample well over a thousand times. I mean, he is actually looking. Wow. You don't get insurance coverage, so it's more pricey, but I feel like he is actually looking. And so that's who I'm using for my parasites. Okay. Uh, When I look for parasites, I look for... So if you have a SIBO test and I'm treating you and I'm doing everything right and I've done this a thousand times and you're not responding, your numbers are not improving, your symptoms are not improving, despite the fact that we've been through phase one and two maybe multiple times, I'm thinking there's something else going on. When I'm thinking there's something else going on, I am more likely to start by looking for parasites. Other people who have a different population are going to look for um, systemic viruses like Lyme Mm -hmm. or uh, um, Epstein-Barr or some of those chronic viruses. When you do find that there is Mm -hmm. a parasite, you found the needle, what do you usually do to treat them? I use pharmaceuticals. Hey, whatever works. So this is the thing about... um, my training with antiparasitic herbs, there's a likely possibility that I'm not using my herbs at high enough doses. Because, you know, in school, you know, naturopaths are in this really interesting world where we're trying to be medical. And so when they teach us our fundamentals of herbs, they want to make sure you're really aware of the possible side effects and the toxicity. And so because of that, my training with toxic herbs, which is kind of what you need to kill a parasite, Mm -hmm. is not awesome. But Antiparasitics work. They, you feel crappy, and there are some parasitics that have almost no side effects, serious long-term side effects, and others that do have side effects. Um, but I know the antiparasitics are going to work, and so I use antiparasitic herbs. And is there a specific antiparasitic to go to a specific parasite? Yes. Yes, in a, um, quotes. In quotes. Because, yes, yes, in, in quotes. quotes. Um, there is a very um, systematic systematic way that standard medicine, the standard of care to proceed for antiparasitics. However, they don't always work and you often have to mix and match and you usually have to keep them on for longer than the recommended dosage. And don't you have to cycle back around because of the so, egg? Mm-hmm. So every round, when I put people on antiparasitics, I have them do 
a round and then two weeks later I follow up with another round. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, if you want to be really, you know, hippie about it, you can have them do it around the full moon and the new moon because theoretically all the eggs hatch right around the full moon. I wonder if that's true with how isolated we are from the moon, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if the parasites are isolated from the moon. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So it seems pretty primal. yeah, Yeah. Right. And where do you think people get parasites from? Uh, it's a lot easier to get. So the, the most obvious is backpackers, hikers, um, anybody in that population who does a lot of outdoorsy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, what's happening with our water supply, like everything that happened with Flint, Michigan, We our water is not as clean as we think it is. And so that's another place. Well water is a place you can easily get parasites. Traveling to different countries. And then, you know, the old fecal oral, you get sick off a food truck. Mm. That's another place you can get it. Mm. I want to like food trucks. I, I really know, I do. do too. I really want to. Yeah. Anyway, um, so okay. So that. What about salad bars? What do you think about salad oh, bars? Hundred percent. You can get exposure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, so it's a, it's like that line that we were talking about earlier with um, cleaning your house and skincare and all that. Like, is it great to control every aspect of what goes into your mouth? Yeah. Sure. But do you want to live like a human? Yeah. And so that's where using your motility agent comes in, using your enzymes, using your, like, I, so I have this protocol that I put patients on whenever they go travel abroad. Um, if I'm not, you know, if they're, my Nike people, they'll get the rifaximine. But if they're going to Mexico or to, um, I have a patient yesterday who's going, she's off to Thailand. Uh, I put them on this protocol of when they're traveling with every meal, they take an antiparasitic, they take a probiotic, so an antiparasitic herb. So I'm using Paragard by um, Integrative Therapeutics. They take a probiotic and they take HCL and enzymes. Because I'm like, I don't know where you're going, right? but I'm assuming you're going to get something. So I'm going to reinstate the functions of your body that I know should protect you from getting this thing. And I'm just going to put them on steroids. Hence, HCL, enzymes, and herbs. Okay. Yeah. How much HCL? <sighs> to tolerance. You know, two to okay. three peels with meals. Okay. If you're getting heartburn, it's too much. If okay. you're not feeling it... You might want to bring it up. Okay. Thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Just Thrive Probiotics. I wasn't a believer, I have to admit. I thought all probiotics were the same because in the past I had taken them and didn't really notice a difference. Well, once I read the studies on Just Thrive, which were recommended to me from several friends in this health space, It started with an old root canal that needed to be extracted. I took the Just Thrive with the massive dose of antibiotics and it helped me so much. I couldn't believe it. So I want you to know about it because if it made a difference for me and I'm a tough case, chances are it's gonna make an impact on you. Obviously you can tell I'm a fan. I hope you'll investigate it for yourself. That's Just Thrive Probiotics and thank you so much to them for supporting this community. We love them for it. Just to ask you that question about can SIBO or CIFO lead, this is the booby trap question. Yeah. Can CIFO or SIBO lead to IBD? So if someone has SIBO, can it turn into that? I'm, I'm hard pressed to give you a yes because inflammatory bowel disease needs to have that inflammatory cascade. The majority of the medications, which, you know, most people react to positively are the, right now at this exact moment, are the TNF-alpha drug class. TNF, uh, tumor necrosis factor alpha, it's a cell that um, kills, like, you know, kills other cells in the immune system, everything's uh, functioning. It's attacking the intestines, 
uh, where the theory is the TNF alpha cells are attacking the intestines, and so we're going to turn them off. IBS does not have that inflammatory attachment with it. In fact, one of the most reliable tests that we use to predict control of inflammatory bowel disease is a stool test called a um, fecal calprotectin, which is literally looking at inflammation within the intestines. You never have a positive fecal calprotectin with IBS. Do you know what I mean? Right. But you I do. do with IBD. Yeah. So, so my concern about saying yes to it is I, I, I see a lot of IBS patients. Most of them don't have IBD. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of IBD patients, and most of them have some IBS within their IBD. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Are there any acupuncture points oh. that can help with motility? Mm-hmm. So definitely theoretically. <laughs> So as an acupuncturist, one of the best tools that I have to make people feel better right away is acupuncture. It's kind of an amazing moment. First of all, acupuncture is, if you want to talk about clinical studies, this guy has been going since the 1300s. You know what I mean? Like it is by far the longest clinical study that we have because we have documented text going back to the 1300s using acupuncture. So do I have tools that I can do like that to get your bloating to go down when you get off my table? A hundred percent diamond treatment. I mean, we have tons of points that work. And the thing about acupuncture is I can give you my recipe, but really if you have a well-trained acupuncturist, it's way better than my recipe because a well-trained acupuncturist looks at your tongue and feels your pulse. And what they see is when they're feeling pulse, it's not like what we do in Western medicine. Mm -hmm. They're not worried about count. They are feeling your pulse in on two sides, so they feel on each side, on two, on three different levels. So three fingers are on your pulse and they feel the yang and the yin. So they're, they're understanding what's happening in 12 different organs just by feeling your pulse. The tongue is a map of the body. They can understand what's happening internally just by looking at the tongue. And so my recipe kind of doesn't matter because if you have a good, well-trained acupuncturist, they are treating you specifically at the moment you walk into their office. Also, the minute you put needles in, the pulse changes. So you are getting immediate feedback if the treatment that you're doing is working. So does acupuncture work? A hundred percent. However, if you ask the Chinese acupuncture works, but it's temporary. And so what the Chinese do is they give you their classical Chinese formulas. And the difference between acupuncture and herbs is herbs is kind of like acupuncture you give yourself three times a day. Does that make sense? Yeah. The negative of um, Chinese herbs is most Chinese herbs, um, if it's not coming from a good source, can definitely have, you know, metals in them and pesticides. And China by no means is clean or rigorous with their testing. So is there a company that you prefer? So if you're going to do granules, so granules are, they take the herb and they cook it up and then they put it on a powder. They, make, they powder it. Um, Evergreen Herbs is a huge, huge company. They have really, really good care. Okay. Um, KPC. So Evergreen uh, uses corn as their base. Mm-hmm. So that's something else to know. Yeah. KPC uses potato as their base. They're also pretty clean. Those are probably the two biggest America-based companies. And then you can also get something called a patent herb. So remember, any of these Chinese formulas, I mean, we have texts, you know, the Shanghan Lun is a hot school, or there's the cold school, or there's the ping school, which is all about the intestine. These are going back like thousands of years. Mm-hmm. You can get these bulk formulas that are helpful for like 
70% of people. They're called patents. There's a company out of Oregon called The Pearls, The Classical Pearls. Heiner Fruhoff is an acupuncturist, scholar here. His herbs are very clean, all organic, all harvested at exactly the right time, as stated. He's, he's German, you know what I mean? Like, they like their rules. Um, all, you know, on the full moon, like that. So his very expensive, but really quality herbs. Or there's another company here called ITM, also really clean, good products. Um, ITM is owned by Sabuti, who's another herbalist scholar, and his wife is a NDLAC like I am. And so they put some naturopathic medicine in there and some Chinese herbs and formulas. So there's good quality herbs out there. You just really want to be aware of your sourcing. Okay, right. And you want to talk to a trained acupuncturist. And you want to, yeah. So you're not just like, oh, this one says it's good for digestion because yeah. it could actually backfire. Yeah, 100%. What do you think about water and how much we should be drinking? Oh, water. Okay, so what we're talking about is clean water, right? Filtered, reverse osmosis, clean water. Because okay. there's a difference between water and water. Water is key. You know, the, the what we say in naturopathic medicine is half your body weight in ounces. Mm -hmm. Plus, if you're drinking anything that dehydrates you, like a cup of coffee or green tea, even, or black tea, you have to replace. So replace and then... So replace twice. So double the amount of water to any dehydrating agent. Your body is 70% water. The earth is 70% water. What I see happening in the earth is what I see happening in our bodies. Like, you know, it's microcosm and macrocosm. Mm -hmm. If you don't have access to clean water, nothing else can work. If your blood is dark and thick and viscous, clearly your organs are not going to be working as effectively as if your blood is bright and red. It's the difference between a swamp, which is full of, you know, gnats and mosquitoes and it's sticky and it's dank and a kid and um, the river, which is like, you know, if you look at the river, uh, you, I don't know, we do that. We have these amazing, um, you can do these floats down really beautiful rivers in Oregon. Just, it's an amazing state. And if you're floating down a river, there'll be this middle islet in the middle and it will be green and plush. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you stop your raft and you sit there, there are no mosquitoes there because the water is constantly moving and washing. Mm -hmm. Mosquitoes literally can't set up their nests. Wow. But in the swamp, you're yeah. going to get bitten up. Yeah. And that's the importance of water. Well said. What about coffee? How do you feel about coffee? You know, coffee's a tricky one because if you had asked me 10 years ago, I would have said it was bad, 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 bad. But now they've done a lot of studies on coffee and coffee that's organic and, you know, ethically free trade, but organic for your physiology in moderate amounts is actually seems to be a pretty good antioxidant and relatively anti-inflammatory. So I am not opposed to coffee in moderate amounts. If you want caffeine, I think you're going to get more health benefits out of green tea than you are out of coffee. But that's probably just because the Japanese have been researching green tea longer than the Westerners have been researching coffee. So I think I like green tea more, but I'm not opposed to coffee. What would you say to someone who's just super depressed about not getting better or just, you know, you know discouraged? I would say probably you haven't found your underlying cause. I would definitely, I would say... If we're doing, if you're working with someone who knows what they're doing and you're doing everything you should be doing, you're, we're not treating the right thing. And really, I go through two cycles. If you are not 40 to 60% better after the first cycle, you know, this really, it's depending on where you, your numbers start. If you're not getting better, the first thing is, let's say I put you on, I put you on phase one, phase two, and you're better. And all of a sudden you start getting worse again. Key, switch your motility agent. First thing to do right there, your motility agent has stopped working. Let's switch it. Probably I'll get you back on track. If we're going through this a couple of times and you're not getting at all better, we're not treating the right thing. And the trick is, like we talked about earlier, SIBO is easy to find. 
It's non-invasive. It's not that expensive. SIBO is easy to find. It doesn't mean that that's the underlying thing. It's just the easiest thing to find. What if somebody has a test that comes back negative? Oh, look, we cleared your methane. We cleared your hydrogen. And you're not a flat line, so you're not hydrogen sulfide. Which I want to ask you about. Okay. And they're still not feeling better. Okay. They haven't found an underlying cause. They may mm-hmm. have other things. They happen to have just cleared up the SIBO. That's what I think. What if they do have that flat line mm-hmm. and it's hydrogen sulfide? So I don't treat a ton of hydrogen sulfide, but so what you're looking for with hydrogen sulfide is really sulfurous gas and a flat line on your breath test. Hydrogen sulfide is even more difficult to treat than methanogens. Um, it really, from what I understand, it's a, you need a lot of bismuth. And there's this really interesting, has anyone talked about biofilms yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little bit, but we want to hear your, your take uh, on it. So but the way I describe biofilms to patients are, it's like the difference of, the bacteria living in a brick building versus them living in a twig house. A twig house, we can blow it down and our medicines are going to get there. If they're in a brick building, me throwing some eggs at your brick building Mm -hmm. is not going to make anybody move out of the building. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the biofilm busters come in. It's kind of like bombing the buildings so that we have access to the bugs. Um, And so biofilms are just starting to come into our frame of thought for treatment right now. And there's an amazing naturopath, Paul Anderson, Mm -hmm. who came up with this beautiful... I mean, that man, if you want to talk genius, that guy's a genius. Like, he knows his physiology and and, um, biochemistry... Uh, the man's a genius. Uh, so he, he we're, so we're starting to use this bismuth-based microbiome um, breaker. And so that's the next step. And if you have complicated cases, the interface and interface plus are probably not going to be enough. You know, they're not a bad place to start, okay. but they're probably not going to be where you finish. You were talking about steroids and iron before. Do they feed the bacteria? Iron, the theory is that iron does feed the bacteria. Steroids are always going to make yeast. Mm. They're going to potentiate your yeast overgrowth. Also, heavy metal toxicity will potentiate yeast overgrowth. Like, so you candida albicans, physiologically, if we're talking about why it's there, because it's commensal, it's a natural part of the flora, Mm -hmm. it's there to clear out heavy metal toxicity. And so oftentimes when you have overgrowth of yeast, that's because there's a lot of metals in your system. The first place to look is amalgams in the mouth. Right. Any metals in the mouth is a big, big deal for me. If you had amalgams in your mouth and then you had them taken out, even like decades ago, can you still have so I, my So you have your highest exposure to, to mercury when they put them in and when they p- take them out. So this is a really interesting brain trick that dentists, that uh, traditional dentists play. When they put them in, they use dams. Mm-hmm. And when they take them out, they put them in biohazard containers and have to pay specially to get them shipped out. But then dentists tell you that when they're in your mouth, they're fine. So it's a very interesting mind game. Mm-hmm. You have a slow, so amalgams, there's a slow off-gassing of that mercury that's constant but slow when it's in your mouth. When they take them in and when they put them out, that off-gassing is expediated and hurried. So your first question is, did you use a holistic dentist to remove them? Did you, so what I do with my patients, because all of them get educated, I look in their, you know, I look at their tongue because I'm an acupuncturist, mm-hmm. and then I look at their teeth, and I'm like, oh, these amalgams. How are they still here? You've been working with me for ten years. How yeah, are they right. still here? Um, but I put them on a protocol that binds the metals and basically gives them gross, green, sticky diarrhea. Awesome. I, I would like when they're getting them removed. I want a bunch of magnets that are going to bind up that. Metal, mercury is the main one I'm worried about. But there's other things in there mm-hmm. that's going to bind up that metal to let them out of the body. And what's that? Are you using chlorella? I'm, I'm using high dose chlorella. I'm using high dose vitamin C and I'm using high dose cilantro. Uh, you can also use some of the pharmaceutical agents like DMSA and DMPS. I have a holistic dentist uh-huh. that I was, she's uh-huh. conventional and holistic. And it's because my nutritionist where I live had 
ankle pain. And she went to holistic dentist. I don't know how it all happened, but the tooth that she had was on the tooth chart, which you can Google. For ankle pain. For ankle pain. And she had that tooth extracted in a bold move. And her ankle pain was gone in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So one of the things we Let's talk, talk about that because that is cuckoo, maluku, mm-hmm. and awesome all at the same time. So one of the things we talked about last time is neural therapy. We had a conversation about this injection-based therapy, uh, and I'm going to bring this back, I promise. Um, so the theory of neural therapy is this. When the nervous system is in your spine, it's the CNS, the central nervous system. That nervous system leaves the spine, and so goes out of the spinous process. All of, at that point, it's the peripheral nervous system or the autonomic nervous system, same thing. That nervous system travels from the spine through the organs to the skin, gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and then from the skin back through the organs, back to the spine, back to the CNS to give information. It's like when you have abdominal pain and you put a hot pack on your belly, Mm -hmm. physiologically what's happening is those nerves that are innervating the stomach go to the skin. The skin gets the impression there's something hot, heat vasodilates. It sends a central nervous system a message to make more space because it's vasodilating. That's why heat helps your stomach not hurt. Right. Okay. Those same nerves, they accumulate or congregate in the mouth. They also are scars. So when you have a scar, when you have any kind of surgery or any kind of trauma, there's a cut to the skin, right? Which means that the peripheral nerves, the, the cutaneous nerves are cut. So that information, that circle that should happen is not happening. So the central nervous system is missing information. Uh, let's, when you have a nerve that goes through organs, and then also touches the periphery, if there's an injury, that scar could be causing what's called an interference field, which basically means the body doesn't see that there's this injury, so never properly heals, which could cause chronic pain. Hmm. That can also happen in the mouth. First of all, that whole explanation of chronic pain is so powerful. That makes a lot of sense. I cannot explain to you how much chronic disease stems from the mouth, which is why, to bring it back to neural therapy, mm-hmm. the, so if you, the most important parts about neural therapy is injecting the scar and injecting the teeth. You inject the teeth? Like the gums. The gums, like uh, like a Novocaine shot? Uh, I, well, I use Procaine. <laughs> You're freaking yeah. me out, man. Yeah, I, I mean- it Sounds uh, fantastic. But. It's, yes. Okay, so let's say- And not, I, I don't inject the teeth because I'm not a dentist, okay. but you can inject the gum and the buccal membranes around it. Okay. And so what exactly does that do again? Uh, basically, so what the reason why we use Procaine is because Procaine, the, it, it's the perfect structure to depolarize a nerve. It's got the so, perfect amount of sodium and potassium. And so what it does is it turns that nerve ending back on to give information to the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So you would put it in the mouth associated with the body part. And then where else do you put it? Scars. And just scars. Into scars. So do you put it in the, the abdomen sometimes mm-hmm. if somebody has oh, an yeah. adhesion? Oh. oh, yeah. So, you know, adhesions are funny. Adhesions from scars, we know scars cause adhesions. Like there's, okay, so if everything's working normally, your fascia, your organs, they're like slippery. It's like wax paper with butter in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. You have a surgery. All of a sudden, it reheals like this. Mm-hmm. And so these can't move, right? And so any abdominal surgeries or, oh, my God, um, tummy tucks. Tummy tucks are the worst because there's a scar around your entire abdomen. That's First of all, if we're talking about acupuncture, that is literally every single meridian. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, tummy tucks are the worst. But what happens is they reheal like this because tissue doesn't heal in straight lines. Mm -hmm. That's called an adhesion. If you want to talk about one of the issues that cause SIBO, adhesions means the migrating motor complex can't work. If the migrating motor complex can't work, look at this. You've got the perfect little incubation area for bacteria. Right. All of a sudden, bacteria starts there and then moves other places. What about a cesarean section? Same, 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 same. Yeah, you know, in Japan, they do we do cesarean sections horizontally. Mm -hmm. They do cesarean sections vertically, and that, from an acupuncture standpoint, uh -huh. because you know Japanese acupuncture is just as prominent as Chinese acupuncture. That, from an acupuncture standpoint, is a lot safer. Also, for muscle rehealing, you know, I just think about like when you're doing horizontal, you're worried about two separate rectus abdomini. When you're doing vertical, you're just worried about the diastasis. Mm -hmm. So it's different how they do it there. Than That's here. interesting. As usual, you've totally expanded my perspective and my brain and given me so much to think about. And I hope that we will all follow your advice because I know we'll all benefit from it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks to Dr. Alana Gervich for another very generous session in helping all of us figure out what's going on with our gut. Thanks to our sponsors, just Thrive Probiotics and IBS Smart Test. Find out about whether or not your underlying cause of SIBO could be from food poisoning at ibssmarttest.com. And be sure to check out why Just Thrive Probiotics is so different, why it's the one that's really made a huge difference for me, even when I thought no probiotic was ever gonna fix me or help me. Well, I used it and I am a believer within one bottle. Everybody's gonna be different, but it's definitely worth a try. Plus, if you go and place your order there and you type in SIBO SOS 15, you get 15% off your bottle of Just Thrive. Pretty cool. Thanks. See you next time. Don't give up. Mm -hmm.